Hello, my name is Larry Hiles. I'm the preaching minister at the Milford Church of Christ. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this message. Please feel free to share it with friends. Also, if it's impacted your life in any way, reach out to us and let us know how. If you live in the Centerburg or Mount Vernon area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 3648 Johnstown Road in Centerburg, Ohio. We look forward to the opportunity of meeting you. If you have your Bibles and you want to get them, get them open to Romans chapter 3, Romans 3 will be the primary section of Scripture we're looking at here in just a few moments. What's the greatest gift that you've ever received? The greatest gift you've ever received. And the way we answer that question speaks a lot about who we are, about the things that we desire, about the things that we value, the things that we have hope in. And so as we understand that, it can kind of give us a picture of what we think are those great things. I remember as a kid, the best Christmas gift I ever got was a Christmas pool table. It was a, pool table. It was a little tabletop one, not much bigger than this right here. Woke up at about 2 a.m. in the morning. It wasn't wrapped, so I started playing with that pool table. And my parents bedroom was right by the dining room table, so that didn't go so well. Another gift I remember receiving as a kid, and I tried to think of the year, so the year was either 1979 or 1980, uh, and so it was a, a, my first watch that I ever received. It was a Spider-Man watch, uh, and it was a digital watch, and the reason I remember, uh, you know, in particular, that, that night we were watching on television the, the cinematic masterpiece, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. Uh, and so I remember watching that movie and looking at my watch over and over and about every two minutes looking at this watch. Uh, over the years, what I've come to learn about gifts is that the best gifts that we receive are ones that come from grace. They're ones that come from grace. I, I think about my athletic director, Mr. Thomas, my ninth grade year. Uh, he knew I needed baseball more than baseball needed me, and I uh, wasn't eligible to play that year, but he let me play. And it's kind of crazy to think through that. Uh, because uh, if it wouldn't have been for baseball and football early on, I wouldn't even have went to school. And so Mr. Thomas, he gave me that gift to be able to play uh, baseball that year. I was on the JV that year, and so, uh, and I don't think he saw much of a, a danger for everyone else, but a great value for me. My best friend's dad, Craig Ryder, senior, teaching me that a work ethic, uh, you had to have a work ethic to get anything in life. And so he fired me uh, once or twice while I worked with him, and then he'd call me a few days later and say, boy, you ready to go back to work again? Uh, and so that was a great gift. Meeting April, you know, life was spir spiraling out of control for both of us. And he brought us together at the exact moment that both of us needed that to take place. And, and, and there was nothing in my life, nothing in my life at that time that God would have looked down at me and said, you know what, I think something really good for this young man would to me, be to meet this young woman. I didn't deserve any of that. And, and our lives were a mess. And for some reason, God caused our eyes to lock. And, and what I'm still trying to figure out to this day is that it was this uh, um, blessing for me or punishment for her? I'm not, I'm not so sure. I do know it was a great gift of grace for me. And here, here's the question that remains. Uh, when we get a gift of grace, how do we respond? Much like the way we think is a great gift, the way we respond to gifts says a lot about who we are. Do we respond with joy? Well, do we respond with humility? Do we respond with this sense of gratefulness to what was being given to us? And, and the truth is, is that many don't respond that way. Most of the time, if we're honest with ourselves, many people respond from this sense of entitlement, right? You've done something to deserve that great gift. Uh, uh, you've earned it. It's the result of your hard work or your goodness or, or your good looks or your great dance moves, what I keep trying to convince myself with April. 
So have you ever noticed that, that when we respond with this sense of entitlement, uh, what's lacking is joy, what's lacking is humility, and what's lacking is, is thankfulness. And, and so when you think about that, tying that to the greatest gifts or the great gifts that you've had, what is the greatest gift? And we know the answer, right? I mean, the greatest gift that we can receive, and especially one that comes from grace, is that gift of salvation from God. So how do we respond to that gift? And, and before we answer that question, I thought we should dig through uh, Romans chapter 3, a few verses in here. And here's the thing we got to remember. Salvation was given to us, not when we deserved it. Uh, we didn't earn it. There's nothing good in any of us, and the text is going to tell us that. Salvation was given to us when we were at our worst, if you're a follower of Christ. So Romans chapter 3, beginning, beginning at verse 9, Paul declares, what then, are we better? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, listen to what he writes here. I mean, if you got your Bibles open, just look at these words and let them sink in. He says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one, there's none who understands. There is none who seeks God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With the tongues, with their tongues, they, are, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the, paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be shut and all the world may be accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And I think what's important to grasp is what Paul is accomplishing in the first two chapters of the book of Romans. And in chapter 1, he, he says that all are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. That's the, that's the point of, the, uh, of Romans 1, 16 and 17, that, that we have that. And then from there, he moves on to talk about the wrath of God being revealed against humankind because basically mankind has said, God, we know we see you in all of creation, but we're going to choose not to worship you. And, and when you read through Romans 1, there's a lovely list of things that comes. Three times, he says that he turns them over, and each time he turns them over, it's to a deeper point of depravity of their soul. And, and then he goes to Romans chapter 2, and, and it's almost like Paul is shifting sides in a congregation. If we want to picture a congregation, we have on one side the Gentiles, who he was talking to in chapter 1, and then on the other side, the Jews in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, he looks at them, and he says, do you think you're any better off? No. No, you've got the law. And you didn't keep it. And so what Paul's declaring in these, in these three chapters is that all humanity is under the same curse, and it's the curse of sin. We all need the gospel. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. And so when we think about this gift of salvation, none of us start off deserving it or earning it. You, you remember what he said there, there is none. He just keeps repeating that, none. There is no one who does good. No one. There are many people that believe that seems, that, that look at this and think, man, this is a little harsh. And the truth is, it's not a little harsh. It's a lot harsh. The reality of the brokenness of humanity should give us a clear picture of the grace of God. And so when we start to put that together with what comes next, verse 21, 
He says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. He's making it very clear. Okay, Jews on this side, there's no distinction from the Gentiles on this side. Every person deserves punishment, but God is going to give grace to those who put faith in Jesus Christ. Christ, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, all have sinned. All have sinned. Here's a rhetorical question. What does that mean? What does that mean? Who's included in the all? Well, you are. Your grandmother is. Your perfect little child that one day is going to prove just how imperfect they are. All of us are in that all. And from verse 21, we see that grace has been the only way all along. Think about it. God and his grace established way back in the Old Testament this system of law uh, and these sacrifices that when one would break a law, he gave them a sacrifice by which they could remain in the law. That's grace. It's always been grace. Verse 22, he says the only way to have righteousness has been through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no difference when it comes to To every human being, verse 24, he says, being justified is a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned and all can be justified. And this idea of the all, it's not just every single person. It's all who will put faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verses 25 and 26. Whom God displayed publicly as a a propitiation in his blood through faith for a demonstration of his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. God put him forward to be a covering for our sin. And so how do we respond to that? What's our response to the greatest gift that's ever been given to us? And, and do we view, I guess it really depends on how we view our salvation. Is our salvation something that we've deserved? We've went to the right church. We've prayed the right prayer. We've received the right baptism. We sang the right songs. And we stayed away from the really bad sins. And, and no matter how good you think you are, just go back to verse 20. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so here's what Paul is declaring to them. It's it's even if your own system of goodness, you know you can't live up to it. So and, And the law that you say you're keeping, but you know you're breaking, you haven't lived up to it. Law points out sin. So have we viewed our salvation as a gift? that God fully grants those who place faith in Christ, right? He, he's the one who's done the heavy lifting. And viewing our salvation like this changes everything about the way we live. I, I think when we begin to grasp this idea and this reality that there's nothing good in us apart from Jesus Christ, that he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. And then we understand that that salvation that he gives us is this free gift of grace that we've received through faith in Jesus Christ. It really does change everything about who we are and how we respond to him. And I wonder at times, and I'm looking in my own heart and asking the question, do I really get grace? Has grace really impacted me the way that I think it should? 
Because if it does, then so many things are going to be different about my life. And I, I think about the body of Christ as a whole as well. And, and why are we here? And what are we doing? And, and what's the response to this great gift that he's given us? I think if, well, I'll just speak for me. I, I know there needs to be a greater level at times. Back in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is speaking in parables to those who will listen. And he says two short parables. Beginning in verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, similar parable, different wording. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went out and sold all that he had, and he bought it. When you take a quick glance back through the gospel of Matthew, we'll see that Jesus has already demanded so much from those who are going to follow him. In chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, he says, you need to give up safety and security of a quiet home and follow me. In chapter 8, verses 21 and 22, they were called to abandon their families, it seems as though. In chapter 10, verses 17, through 19 and 11 to they were to risk imprisonment even torture and death they would they would endure persecution at the hands of religious leaders you see there's nothing easy about this christian walk that we have and when i look at many of us and maybe it's just me maybe i'm mad at myself for some reason about my own walk with christ lately if we truly got grace how would it change every aspect of who we are? Would we be like that man who found the treasure in the field or that man who found the pearl, being willing to sell everything just for that? When we think about Christianity today, does this speak of us? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in The Cost of Discipleship, he wrote these words. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is a pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all of his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. As Christianity spread, Bonhoeffer wrote, and the church became more secularized, this realization of the costliness of grace gradually faded and the world was Christianized and grace has become its common property and it can be had at such a low cost. Friends, how do we respond to the cross? How does the cross impact our daily life and our thinking? And when we think about the gift that we have in Christ, does our response match the gift? Salvation when was given when we were at our worst. There's nothing that we could do to earn it other than put faith in Christ and surrender to him. And then we will seek to live a life of thankfulness from that gift. And, and I've made this point in the past. Here's what, where I'm getting to when I'm thinking about church membership is that when we truly understand what Jesus Christ has done for us and the salvation that he's given us and, and, and that he, when we're saved and brought into the body of Christ, he puts us amongst a group of people, the body of Christ, the church. And one of the responses of a free gift of salvation, I believe it should be that we should be 
a church member that faithfully serves the body of Christ along, alongside of other church members. We should truly value the gift of church membership as a result of our salvation. And, and I want to close this morning with somewhat of a review of the past three weeks, tying in how we can treasure our church membership as a result of the salvation that's been given to us. And here's the first point. We, we, we can be a member who uses their gift to serve the body of Christ. Remember, Paul wrote, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. That's, when we get that idea, the handiwork that we were created to do, it's different for all of us. And we've talked about that in week one, that God has given each individual person a gift that can be used in the body of Christ. And as we unlock those gifts together and effectively serve the local body of Milford Church of Christ, I believe uh, the, the worldly body of Christ has benefited as well as we fulfill our part and our role. God wants the body to serve the body. This is what we learned in week one, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are, were, are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For also by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Uh, chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And Christ has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, uh, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do you all have the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all translate? It's not difficult, friends. It's really not difficult to find out what God has equipped you to do in the body of Christ. It really isn't. And when we think about the free gift of salvation that God has given us and we start to understand how we can treasure that gift and how we can treasure church membership, it should be a constant thing in our minds and souls of asking what can we do to build up the body of Christ? What's my gift? Where can I serve? How can I help this people grow? How can I grow through that service? See, when we treasure church membership, we will realize that we're called to serve one another. It should be, I'm often reminded in the Old Testament, if you remember in the Old Testament, when Moses was going to build the tabernacle, the instructions, and he said, all right, tell the people, God said, tell the people to bring gold and bring all this stuff. And Moses had to tell them, hey guys, we got enough, stop bringing. Stop bringing the goods. Imagine what would take place in the body of Christ today if we treated our service like that. Imagine if we had to say, hey, Joel, I already got enough people to serve at the food pantry this week. Thanks for being willing to do that. Imagine what it would be like when Russell says, hey, I need volunteers for VBS. Imagine somebody getting their feelings hurt by saying, all right, hey, Larry, you waited too long to sign up and somebody's already in that role. That doesn't happen in the body of Christ today. It doesn't happen because far too often I don't think we treasured church membership as a gift that comes from our salvation in Christ. The second thing, 
is we would be a member who unifies the body of Christ. And I've spoke about unity in three of these messages because unity is so key, it's important. God has given us a mission, and man, we're going to end on that mission in this message, and so it's going to sound like I'm talking in circles, but I'm not. God has given us a mission, and the mission was to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that he had commanded, and a reminder that he would be with them until the end of the age till the end of the age. That's the mission. Friends, we cannot accomplish that mission when we're divided. We can't. So this is why unity is so important and so key in this series of messages is that we've got to constantly understand that. Peter wrote, 1 Peter 3, 8, now to sum up, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, brotherly, tender-hearted, and humble in spirit. Paul wrote, now I exhort you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul wrote, bearing with one another and graciously forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord has graciously forgave you, so also you should. Above all things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, remember we went over that, that we're to make every effort, every effort for unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. Every effort. Nothing lacking in that effort. Jesus said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, and they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. See, from passages of scripture like this, I think we should understand and grasp the reality that unity is an important thing. And if we're going to treasure our salvation through treasuring the membership that we have, then we're going to be a member that does everything to unify. That means laying aside personal preferences for the sake of the mission. That means placing others above yourselves. What's one of the best ways we can fight for unity of the church? It's just remember, not make it about us. Third lesson, or third way we can treasure our membership. Be a member who cares for the needs of others. You know, this is a, a really follow, not only following the example that Christ has set for us, it, it's what Scripture tells us over and over. This is what Paul told us in Philippians chapter 2. We focused on that passage last week when he said, Do nothing out of selfish ambi ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Man, imagine the difference that can be made in the church with that. What would happen if we would live this way? Uh, far too long we've, uh, we've gone about church growth the wrong way. It's been programs. It's been... Music at times. It's been the latest fad. But I, I, maybe I'm just too simple-minded. But I think if we were to do things the Bible ways, that God would bless the church today the way he blessed the church then. And I do believe the simple words that Jesus said, right? He said them. And, I, and, and what we have here, if we love one another... That's what he says in, in, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Every message in this series had these words. I, I, a new commandment I give to you, let you love one another, even as I have loved you, 
that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have a love for one another. The Roman emperor Hadrian wanted to know about the church and sent someone among them to make an investigation. And while the investigator mocked much of what took place among the church, he also wrote this back to the emperor. They love one another. They never fail to help widows and they save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to those who have nothing. They don't consider themselves brothers and sisters in the usual sense, but instead brothers and sisters, sisters through the Spirit of God. And we know that it took a few hundred years, but Rome eventually adopted Christianity. Love does work. And when we truly love one another, there are things that we'll do. So we'll be a member who cares. The, second, the fourth thing we'll do is we'll be a member who prays for their church and leaders. We, we've talked about this uh, in one of these messages. And, and um, just quickly, have you ever noticed... Have you ever noticed when you pray for someone, it's hard to stay angry with them? It really is. You can't stay angry with someone that you're praying for. When you start to pray for them, you start to see life differently and maybe through their eyes. Also, dig through the New Testament, and as you're reading through the New Testament, see how many times Paul asks for people to pray for him as a church leader and and, and to, to pray for boldness, that he would speak with clarity and all those things. Friends, we have got this responsibility that we need to be praying with and for one another more, and we need to be praying with and for our leaders. We saw the passage of Scripture in Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they will do this with joy and, and not with groaning, for this would be unprofitable for you. So we'll, we'd be a member who prays for our church and its leaders. The fifth way we treasure church membership and the gift of salvation is we'll be a member who loves and leads their family toward Christ and his church. All right. What are we loving and leading our families to? That's a question I think that's not asked enough of young families. And as a matter of fact, I think it's a question that's not asked and preached about enough from our pulpits and when we think about families. Uh, Far too often we're loving and leading our families toward getting into the right college, playing the right sport, doing the right worldly things. And and the truth is, uh, here's the truth. One day all of us are going to stand before God and, and we have this responsibility with only a limited amount of time, friends, with our families that we have to love and lead them toward Christ and his church. Paul I thought about these verses with this. He says, Therefore I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve of the will of God, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. The world teaches us to love our families toward worldly success. Right? Man, I... Sadly, allowed my kids at times to chase after more worldly success and a stronger relationship with Christ. And if there's one thing that I could do differently, it, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't take them away from sports because Preston needed sports much like I needed sports growing up. And I, I knew that and realized that. Uh, what I would do is I would make sure that I would spend as much time talking about succeeding and in, in reading your Bible as much as hitting a baseball and succeeding and, and knowing uh, what God is calling us to do as much as worrying about grades in school. Truth is, is that when we stand before God, 
God's not going to bring up our transcripts from high school. He's not going to bring them up. And if we're preparing and equipping our children for that moment, I'm not saying it's not important, but following and chasing hard after him would be far more important. We'd love and lead our children and our families toward Christ. Joshua chapter 24, verses 15. If it is evil in your sight to serve Yahweh, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, rather the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Friends, if we treasure our church membership as a gift that comes from salvation, this is what we'll do in the last way, is that we'll be a member who leads others to the cross. Leads others to the cross. Do you remember going on road trips as a kid? Your folks pulling out a map. Maybe you had one of those maps and a binder. You know, they made those with the binder that you could flip through them, and it had different states, and then it would give you the big cities in those states. I I used to love to sit in the back seat as a kid whenever we'd take a trip to Circleville or Cincinnati. Those were about the furthest ones we'd do. And, And then I would watch the road signs to see where we were at, and I'd find it on the map. Sometimes those maps would be opened up by the passenger uh, on the front seat and nearly covering the view of the driver. Then the internet came along and you could go to the website called MapQuest and try to type in a location you were starting from and then go to your printer and push print. And then you had step-by-step instructions to that. I mean, that was great. I thought, man, it can't get any better than this, right? I mean, it really can't get any better than just having a step-by-step instruction with the exit number and everything else, the miles that you're going to travel, go 27.1 miles, turn on exit 102, and, and it was great. Then something amazing happened. More, there were map apps. And, and I remember the first time I used a map app. It blew me away. Right? But now they get annoying. So, uh, so they blew me away. And if we'd only listened to the nice lady's voice on the phone, it would, it would take us where we wanted to go. And, and after the first time of using this app, I, I remember asking everybody, hey, do you have this app on your phone? You know, and at first it was a GPS, and then it became that. Do you have the app on your phone? Just type it in. You can get everything. I'm still amazed that people get lost until my app got me lost one day. <laughs> so, now listen, I've become so accustomed to this app on my phone, I don't talk about it anymore. I never bring it up to anyone. And if you do get lost, I kind of mock you and think, well, why didn't they use the app? Everybody's got, a, everybody's got it on their phone. I mean, if they don't want to take advantage of it, what's there for them? It's their fault, right? I, I have what I need, and I'm going to get where I'm going, so it doesn't matter if somebody else is using the app. Uh, and maybe this is a stretch this morning, but have we become so accustomed to the gospel message of Christ and the fact that we have heaven waiting for us as followers of Christ that we've stopped pointing people to Jesus? We've stopped pointing them to the only one that can get them where they really need to go. We've lost this sense of responsibility to tell others. We have secured our ticket, and if others don't want to take advantage of it, then it's on them. Has that become what we've done in the church? I mean, because the truth is, is as we read through the book of Acts in the, Old, in the New Testament, what we're seeing is we're seeing letters written from a missionary that understood that he had to go to the ends of the earth to take the gospel there. And, and we can't even get people to come to church at times. We've lost a sense of our responsibility. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Quite a few verses here to read. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for he who died and rose again on their behalf. Man, we could have preached just on that verse right there this morning. 
Verse 16, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So then, if you have your Bibles open there, so then we are now ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ. As God is pleading through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Listen, friends. Do we understand? I mean, really, do we understand the responsibilities that we have because of the free gift of salvation that God has given us in Christ? Right? We keep calling it a free gift, and, and we understand what that means, right? That we, that we put our faith in Christ, and because of our faith, we believe that Jesus died for our sins. Because of our faith, we repent of those sins, and we turn ourselves to following after him. Because of our faith, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that's a lost term on us today. Because of our faith, we submit to Christian baptism. Because of our faith, we chase after holiness, and part of chasing after that holiness is laying aside our lives and saying, Jesus, I'm yours. And when we do that, you know what's going to happen. He's going to send every single one of us out of our buildings and from our churches with this understanding that we are now ambassadors for Christ, that there's a call that he's placed upon us, and that every soul we run into is a soul that needs to hear about Jesus. What would happen in the church if we took that seriously? What would happen in our own lives if we took that seriously? I think we would see every moment as a moment to lift Christ up. And the Bible tells us, Jesus said with his own words, as he is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. Church, what are we doing with it? Do we really truly treasure the gift of salvation and the membership in the body of Christ the way we should? Membership is much larger than this church. These commitments that the Bible calls for us, for us to make are be lived out no matter what little C church you attend. However, God has designed that the little C church be a part of the whole and Milford can make an impact, guys. We can make an impact if we will begin to treasure the gift of salvation and the gift of membership and we become ambassadors for the sake of Christ. What commitment is God calling you to make this morning? If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ already, have repented of your sins, confessed him to be the Lord of your lives, and, and submitted to Christian baptism, what commitment is he calling you to make? Maybe you haven't put your membership here locally yet. Maybe that's the commitment. Or perhaps what he's calling you to do right now is to understand, listen, take this stuff seriously. Unify the body of Christ. Serve the body of Christ. Care for those that you're around. Go out and share me to people. If that's a commitment, what's keeping you from doing it? Right, if you haven't taken those steps of faith to make Jesus Christ be the Lord of your life, come down and let's talk about it because that's where it all begins. Do we treasure what God has given us? If we do, it'll change everything. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for the free gift of salvation that cost you so much in Christ. 
And we understand that that gift of salvation is one that we place our faith and receive what you've spoken of in your word and him. And then it changes every aspect of who we are for the rest of our lives. Lord, may that be the case for each of us. And, and if there be a soul that has yet to make that decision, Lord, may today be the day they ask questions. May today be the day they cross over from death to life in Christ. We pray these things in your son's most holy name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. If you need to respond in any way, I'd love to meet you down here in front.